be covering those verses through the Bible study this evening. Beginning in verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified himself uh, to be made, in, uh, rather, glorified not himself to be made in high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the day of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is better than the priesthood. The title of the Bible study, let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the passage tonight. Help us to apply these uh, truths are our life, and Lord, what is uh, just um, uh, a reminder to us, uh, Lord, uh, may we reflect on and have a better appreciation of who you are and what you are. Uh, Lord, some new Christians in the room tonight are still trying to learn their way around the Bible and the truths and, and doctrines of the Bible. We pray, Lord, that um, the Bible study tonight would go a long way in helping them. Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful that you not only loved us on the cross, but continue to love us each and every day. Help us never to take our eyes off of that or forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Jesus is better. He's just better. And the uh, emphasis in the book is to take the focus off of uh, Old Testament customs and, uh, and in Old Testament practices with a temple and a tabernacle uh, and priests, and all of the pomp and circumstance and ritualism with that, and to put it on Jesus. No longer do we need a temple or a tabernacle. Why? Because our body is the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God the Father was the main one that communicated with, uh, with our human race. It was God the Father that interacted. You go through the book of, of the books of the Pentateuch, rather Genesis through Deuteronomy, and at one point I had underlined and counted up all the times where the Bible says God said unto Moses. That's speaking of Yahweh or Jehovah, God the Father communicating. And then you get to the Gospels, and it's uh, the primary one of the Godhead communicating with humanity is God the Son. And we live in an era now where God the Father and God the Son are not the main ones communicating with humanity. It's God the Spirit. Why? Because He dwells within us. And we're very blessed to have 
God the Spirit dwelling in us. Do you understand that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not dwell in most believers? In fact, if God the Spirit dwelled in you in the Old Testament, that was by far the exception to the rule and not the rule. Most people had little to no interaction uh, with God or His voice in any level, in any way, uh, throughout the history of humanity. But we get to live in a time and a day where God the Spirit dwells within us and He wants to communicate to us. And I have to say that as I look through all the eras or dispensations of the Bible, I can't think of one I'd rather live in more than in the church era. We, uh, we live in a day of enlightenment. We have the Word of God uh, in mass print. We can read it. We can study it. We can understand it. We have all sorts of uh, uh, commentaries to help us where we can't quite get it. We can pick and choose which commentaries we want. And we have the Spirit of God within us to show us and teach us all truth this first John says and we get to live in a time where the spirit of God dwells within us now um, uh, the 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 audience that this is written to are the Hebrews or the Jews who are just coming from a religion of Judaism and transferring it from the Judaism rituals that pointed to Jesus now that Jesus has come none of that is needed anymore and they're now entering fresh into the church era and oh my Transitions are hard for all of us, but this transition was especially hard. So the book of Hebrews was written. God's name is the first uh, uh, word in the book because God wanted to tell his people that uh, my son Jesus is just better than all of the things that you have held high. All of the tenets and pillars of your faith, those were all to point to Jesus. Now that he's come, he is the one that you need to worship. He is the one that you need to live for. He is the one you need to become like. So we've walked through the book uh, one chapter at a time. And last week we began this study on how that Jesus is better than the priesthood. Well, let's jump in and review point number one, and then we'll get into point number two. We began by looking at the first five verses or so, or rather uh, the first three verses or so, and we saw uh, uh, we saw the ministry number one, the ministry of the Levitical priesthood, the ministry of the Levitical priesthood. Now, a lot of people will read through the book of. Leviticus, and they'll scratch their head and say, what does all this mean and how does it apply to uh, today? And I would tell you that if you're young in your Christian faith, haven't been saved very long, I would encourage you to stay away from the book of Leviticus until you better understand a little more of the Bible. And then you can go in and, and read it and dig into it and dive in and study it and just be fascinated uh, by the book. Beyond that, let a pastor or, a, or an, uh, an elder in the church, someone who's more seasoned in the Bible, sit down uh, with you and help you with that. Now, I do need to make one small correction, one factual error I made last week that was brought to my attention. And so, uh, yes, I'm capable of errors and saying things that are not 100% accurate. And when I do, uh, I want to own it and correct it. So here was the error that I made. Not everyone who was from the tribe of Levi acted in the role of, of the priests. Now, all of those from the tribe of Levi were assigned to help with the tabernacle and to do tabernacle and temple stuff, but the priests specifically came from the lineage of Aaron. You had to be specifically from Aaron's lineage to be a priest. And so, uh, the ministry of the, that probably should say Aaronic 
priesthood, but Levitical priesthood. And so let's let's look through what we looked at last week because we saw how that uh, uh, the author of Hebrews lays out for us what it was that the Levitical or Aaronic priests did, and then comes along and shows how that Jesus just did it so much better. So last week we looked at letter A, their selection, their selection, and we looked at verse 1 and 4, and we talked about how that not just anybody got to be a priest. You had to be born into a family tree in order to get to be part of that priesthood. You were not, you, you didn't volunteer you were selected, you were chosen, you were told based on your uh, based on your bloodline. So we looked at um, uh, verse one and four. We went back and looked at Exodus twenty nine uh, twenty eight thirty nine through forty three and saw when Moses uh, anointed Aaron to be uh, and his children to be part of that priesthood. Letter B. We looked, spent quite a bit of time last week looking at their sacrifices. Their sacrifices. Go back to verse number one with me of chapter five, because this all of this will help set up uh, greatly set up uh, the the Bible study tonight. It says, "For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God." We see they have a heavenly work uh, and they intercede for men. And then it says there that they may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Gifts. And sacrifices. We went back last week and we, we looked at the five sacrifices, the five major sacrifices found in Leviticus, and we put those five sacrifices into three different ministries that these men had. We looked at the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation. They were to go to God on behalf of the uh, other Jews, Israelites, and they were to reconcile or fix or bring back together the broken relationship that sins had caused. So we looked at the uh, ministry of reconciliation. We looked underneath that at the sin offering, the trespass offering, and the burnt offering. We said the sin offering, uh, uh, that was when an animal was offered up on the brazen altar for sins committed in ignorance the trespass offering was for sins committed intentionally, sins committed intentionally, and then the burnt offering was sin guilt transferred. We talked about how that you would go, as that animal is laying there on the altar before it's killed, you would go lay your hands on the head of that animal, and the guilt would be transferred off of you onto that animal. Then that animal's neck would be slit, the blood would be collected and poured out on ground, some of it would run into the altar, and then that animal would be sacrificed there. Why? Because the guilt had been transferred to that animal, and then the animal had been killed, and God's wrath had been satisfied. So these priests had the ministry of reconciliation. Furthermore, they had the ministry of remembrance. We said that the meat offering, not meat in the sense of, you know, a big piece of beef on your plate and out back. Not that kind of meat offering. Okay, The, the meat offering here is uh, a flour and, uh, and an oil, almost like you're making a cake okay, or cornbread. Uh, and so uh, meat in the Old Testament meant uh, food of substance or that which had substance to it. And so that meat offering was offered up 
as a memorial for, uh, 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 for what God had done for the Israelites and bringing them out of Egypt. So they had the priesthood had the duty of ministry of reconciliation, ministry of remembrance, and then ministry of rejoicing. The last type of offering we looked at was the peace offering, the peace offering, and how that was just done when someone's heart was full and overflowing with thanksgiving to God. They would go to the priests and they would have the priest uh, uh, do a peace offering just to say to God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a time of great rejoicing and a heart overflowing for the goodness of God that they felt in their heart. So those are the five main types of offerings. There are other offerings in Leviticus, but those are the five main ones uh, that were performed. So we looked at their selection, their sacrifices. Letter C last week, we looked at their sympathy and suffering. Their sympathy and suffering. Go back to Hebrews 5, look at verse 2. It says, Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? You know why you moms are so good at loving on your sick children? Because you know what it's like to be sick. You know what it's like to be sick. Um, There are times where I cannot help someone on the level that I would like to help them because I have never gone through what they're going through. When I called Brother Sutton on the phone this week, our missionary to Point Hope, Alaska, some of you just came in a little late. Uh, Brother Sutton and his wife uh, lost their baby in the second trimester. The baby lived for an hour after it was born and then passed. And they, they uh, are here in the States, or rather here in the lower 48, and they just buried that child. I, I called Brother Sutton, and I'll tell you what I didn't try to do. I didn't try to pretend that I knew what he was going through, because I don't. My wife has never had a miscarriage. I've never had to hold a baby in my arms that only had a heartbeat for an hour to try to bury that baby. And so there's only so much I could do to let him know that I love him and that I'm praying for him. But let's say that I had gone through the exact same set of circumstances that he had. Boy, I would be able to, I would be able to weep with him just a little bit deeper. I'd be able to help him just a little bit more. These priests were able to help the people who were suffering with sin because they likewise were sinners. These priests were able to reconcile a broken man to a holy God because they knew what they knew what it was like to be broken themselves. They had suffered the infirmities of the people so they could empathize. You all know the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is a a, a feeling bad for someone. Empathy is a feeling bad and being able to relate. And uh, the priest could empathize with them. And so their sympathy and their suffering, a very important part in their role as priests. And then lastly, last week we looked at letter D, their sin. Their sin. Look back at verse number 3. It says, and by reason hereof, he, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sin. So, when they went and they did these sacrifices, who were the sacrifices for? Well, they were for the sin of the people, but they also had to go, before they could offer any sacrifices for the people, they had to go offer sacrifices for their own shortcomings. 
Because these priests were sinners. Now, why, uh, why was it that the blood of animals and that earthly priests were not good enough to atone for the sins of the people? The reason being is that those animals were from a fallen world and the men uh, uh, sacrificing the animals were fallen themselves. And so the blood of those lambs and goats and oxen and, and, and doves would never suffice to uh, atone for sin. They were only representative of a blood that would be shed by the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God. So we'll get into how Jesus is better than the sacrifices at another point, but Jesus came uh, to be greater than the priesthood. So let's contrast, we'll parallel, but rather contrast how that Jesus is greater than the priesthood. Number two, notice the ministry of Christ's priesthood, the ministry of of Christ's priesthood. Now that the table has been set and the description of who the priests were and what they were has been laid out there, God is going to come around and show how Jesus it just just soars high and above. By the way, the reason why the duties of the priests are summed up in only four verses is because of who the audience is. Had this been written to the Gentiles, This would have been like 14 chapters. But this was written to the Jews. And in these four verses, they all knew because they had grown up going to the temple and seeing the sacrifices. And they knew it was part of their history. It was part of their heritage. And so it it could be summed up in four short verses, but there's going to be... Four chapters explaining how that Jesus is far and above and far exceeds uh, the, the, the Aaronic priest or the Levitical priesthood. Far exceeds in how that Jesus is the superior priest. Let's contrast and compare. Letter A, notice his selection. Speaking of Christ, his selection. Look back at Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 5. Now remember, the priests did not select themselves. They were selected by God. Look at verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the name Melchizedek automatically is sort of a buzzword and gets a lot of people, (gasps) Melchizedek! Let's talk about Melchizedek. And we're going to talk about Melchizedek, but we're not going to really talk about him tonight. Because his name is dropped here in order to get attention, in order to uh, uh, sort of arouse the, 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 the Hebrew folks that are reading this. But later, it's, it really is just a name drop. Later on in the chapters to come, quite a bit of time is spent talking about Melchizedek. So we'll get to that uh, in our Bible study when we get over to those uh, chapters or those verses in the chapters to come. Uh, but, but rather, the point here is that Jesus did not come from the same background as the other priest did. Now, tell me, someone here tell me, those of you that know the Bible, tell me which tribe was Jesus born into? Judah. Judah is not Levi. So, if Jesus is a priest, why did he not come from the Aaronic line, or uh, in a broader sense, the Levitical line? The reason being is that those priests were flawed. 
Jesus had no flaw in it. Jesus comes from the, 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 the priestly line of Melchizedek because Melchizedek uh, was the first priest named in the Bible back in Genesis. I believe chapter 14. I, I may not have quite the right chapter, but that area right back there. And, and Melchizedek was perfect. And Jesus is perfect. Now, I'm going to tell you this. My opinion is that Jesus is Melchizedek and Melchizedek is Jesus. But we'll get into that another week. But Jesus was not flawed in any way. That's why he didn't come from the Levitical priesthood. Furthermore, Jesus did not choose to be our priest. Jesus was chosen by his father to be our priest. Turn back over to Psalm chapter 2. And verse number 7, obviously we're studying Hebrews 5. Don't let go of that. Hold, hold on to Hebrews 5. But go back over to Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 7. Um, David. David, oh David, oh David. David was writing down what God was telling him to write down. But I believe David probably had no idea half the time that he was writing about Jesus he probably got to heaven and God said, hey, David, come over here. Remember when you wrote this and this and this? Let me show you how that was about not you, but about Christ. And he went, oh, wow. I bet that happened. How many think that probably happened? David had no idea. He was writing about the coming Messiah. Uh, uh, and so there are messianic psalms. Me- me- messianic, it comes from the idea of Messiah. Messiah in the Old Testament is Christ in the New Testament. Okay, There are psalms that were prophetic about the coming Messiah that had a double meaning. Psalm 22 would be one of those. And then you have chapters that are not necessarily messianic, but there are verses within the chapters that are. And I don't know that I would be able to extrapolate that out of these chapters, but when the Old or New Testament does it for us, then we know that uh, it was referring to the Messiah. Look with me at Psalm chapter number 2 and look at verse number 7. It says, I will declare thee, uh, the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now again, look carefully at the capitalization of L-O-R-D in verse 7. That Lord there is God the Father. Thou art my Son. Uh, uh, So this is God the Father speaking to God the Son. This day have I begotten thee. David probably thought that he was the Son, or God's Son, which he was, but that wasn't um, uh, necessarily all that that meant. Go over with me, if you will, uh, to, uh, let's see here, uh, Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 5. Matthew 17, 5. Now, uh, we go to Matthew 17, and where do we find Jesus in the book of Matthew in chapter 17? We find him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, um, Jesus has his 12 disciples, and he comes to the base of a mountain, and he says to nine of them, he says, you all stay here, I'll be right back. And he takes Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mount, and while they're up there, Jesus transforms from his earthly self into his heavenly self. And then, all of a sudden, two prophets appear there with him. Who were those two prophets? Moses and Elijah, right? They're right there with him. And Peter, being Peter, sticks his foot in his mouth and says, We should build a temple for all three of you. And uh, Jesus just ignores them. And probably he's thinking, Oh, Peter, just be quiet. But what is said while Jesus is up there? Well, Psalm 2-7 is quoted here in Matthew 17-5. Look at it. 
While he yet spake, speaking of Peter, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. God the Father made a point to come down and bring Psalm 2-7 to fruition and say, That Son, my Son right there, I am choosing him to be the interceder between God and man or to be the priest. We see here that Jesus did not choose to be our priest. Again, Hebrews chapter 5, go back to Hebrews chapter 5 and look at verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made in high priest. But he that said unto him, well, when did he say to him? He said it to him on that day, on that mount where he was transfigured. Thou art my son today, have I begotten thee. So we see his selection. Uh, the, the priests were chosen in the Old they were chosen to uh, to a duty to atone for man on a temporary basis. Jesus was selected to atone for all of mankind, both Jew and Gentile, not on a temporary basis, on a permanent basis. Letter B, notice his sacrifices. His sacrifices. So we see uh, that Jesus uh, uh, was the priest that would bring the sacrifice for man. Look at verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh... When he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, go back with me to verse number one and look at the middle of the verse. It says, ordain for men in things pertaining to God that he might, look here, offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Back in verse number seven, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears. Can you see the parallel here? What did the priests offer up? They offered up gifts and sacrifices. What did Jesus offer up? You see what he offered up? He offered up right there. It tells you. He offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears. When was Jesus in great agony and in tears? Go to John 17, the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus uh, leaves the upper room. He is uh, he is troubled in his spirit. Again, he leaves nine of the disciples back a ways. He takes Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, his three, with him a little bit further, and he asks them to pray. Then he leaves them, and he departs. And John 17 uh, is by far my favorite prayer in the entire Bible. This is Jesus. This is what Hebrews 5.7 is referring to when it talks about Jesus offering up prayers and supplication. Let's look at verse number 1 and we're going we're gonna to read quite a bit of the chapter here. And again, feel the heaviness of the moment. He's so, he's so uh, stressed that he has his, his blood vessels mingle into his sweat uh, ducts and he begins to sweat blood. 
Now, scientists tell us you have to be under an immense, unreal, unhealthy amount of blood pressure stress to get to a point where blood runs out of your sweat ducts. Look at chapter 17, and we see the words he is praying under such great distress there in the garden. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who, uh, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had uh, with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were. Here's the supplication part. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, uh, and, and they have kept thy word. Look at verse 7. Now they have known uh, that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I am come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them uh, which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am more in the world, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world that I came to thee. Holy Father, uh, keep thou thine own name, uh, those uh, whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Uh, while I was with thee in the world, I kept them in thy name. Uh, uh, those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, speaking of Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Look down to verse 17. Sanctify them uh, through thy truth. Thy word is truth, and thou hast sent me into the world. Even now, uh, even so, have I also sent them into the world. You see here how he's praying for his disciples I'm left to wonder if he isn't also praying for future disciples that would come along and be part of his team. Even you and I that are part of his team. And what is he doing here? He is, he is sacrificing through prayers and, uh, and, and, and supplication through tears and pain on our behalf. Now we looked at the three categories of the ministry, uh, 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 rather we looked at the three categories uh, of uh, sacrifices when it came to the Levitical priesthood. Can I tell you that Jesus did a much better job of those three categories? What were they? Well, they were the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry of reconciliation, remember? Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We looked at this on a Sunday evening a few few weeks back. Look at verse number 17. Everybody there? Don't get lazy on me now. Some of you sitting there saying, oh, I'll just let him read it. No, no, no. This is a Bible study. Turn your Bible and study it with us. Ready? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Don't ever let that verse get tired. You're a new creature in Christ. Be excited about that. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by 
Jesus Christ. So Jesus has the ministry of reconciliation and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Look at verse 21. For God hath made Jesus, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So uh, their sacrifices, uh, Jesus, his sacrifice, he held in his hands the ministry of reconciliation and on the cross, he was our sin offering, dying for our sins committed in ignorance. He was our trespass offering. He offered up the trespass offering, sin committed intentionally, and the guilt was transferred to him, he became our burnt offering. Uh, notice also ministry of remembrance. Turn over to Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22 and verse number 19. Luke 22 verse 19. We'll read down to verse number 20. It says, and he took bread and gave break and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in what's that next word? Remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, very important here. Um, the ministry of remembrance. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices. Now, please understand that these sacrifices that were done by the priests saved nobody. Saved nobody. These sacrifices were symbols of the atoning work of Christ that would happen on the cross. The Lord's Supper saves nobody. Taking the bread and putting it in your mouth, drinking of the grape juice or the Wine, right? All wine is just vine juice. Some is fermented and some's not. But drinking of the wine and eating of the unleavened bread, the unfermented wine and the unleavened bread, that does not save you. That does not atone any sin. You know why? Because the work of Christ is finished. The Catholic Church wants you to believe that when you put that wafer in your mouth, that the body of Christ comes to life in your mouth. They want you to believe that when you drink the wine, that it is becoming the blood of Christ running down your throat. I don't drink blood and I don't eat flesh. I don't do that. I don't drink my own blood and eat my own flesh. And I don't drink, I don't care who it is, including Jesus. Okay? Uh, Jesus said that these are tools for you to remember me by. Just as the burnt offering and the trespass offering and the sin offering and the peace offering, and I'm, and I'm missing one here, uh, the meat offering, just as those five pointed to Christ, the Lord's Supper elements point back to Christ. They are symbols to help us remember what Christ did for us. These pointed to what Christ, the ones in the past that the, the priest did, pointed to what Christ would do. These point back to what Christ did do. Everybody with me? So, Jesus offers up the ministry of remembrance through the Lord's Supper. Uh, one more ministry here that Jesus brought uh, through his sacrifices, and that is the ministry of rejoicing. Turn over to Philippians chapter number 2. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Can you believe it? I lost my place in Hebrews 5. Now I've got to go find it again. Philippians chapter 2. Oh, there it is. I've been in there a lot, so it wasn't, wasn't too bad. Look at verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be, be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things uh, uh, in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what you do every time you get on your face and you worship God? You enter in, because of the sacrifice done by your priest, Jesus Christ, you enter into his ministry of rejoicing. That's what worship is. It's rejoicing in what God has done for you. Some of you walk around here all measly mouth, your lips dragging the ground, oh, just trying to make it one more day, and my life's so hard. You know what? If you get in the presence of God and rejoice over what He's done for you a little bit more often, maybe you'd start being a little bit more positive. You say, well, you don't know uh, about my health situation, and you don't know about my hurt, and you don't know about the way people are treating me, and you don't know about this and that. And I have to tell you, I may not know the burdens you're carrying, but I know the burdens I'm carrying, and I know this. When I get focused on the negative, I'm focused on the negative because I have gone too long and not focused on the positive of what Jesus did for me. Some of you, look, all of us in here can find things that aren't right in our life. All of us can find people in our life, we don't like the way they're treating us right now. How many of you, there's somebody in your life you wish they'd treat you different? Would you hold up your hand? There's somebody in your life you just wish they'd start treating you a little bit different. You know what? I can raise both hands, okay? Uh, and, and, and Angela knows exactly what I'm talking about right now, because we, we had a long talk about it last night. Uh, but, um, uh, but you know what I, I, I got to do? I got to get on my knees and say, Lord, it doesn't matter how such and such or such and such is treating me. You're really good to me. You saved my soul. And I need to spend a little bit more time in the presence of my king, thanking him for his priestlyhood and what he's done to save me. That thanksgiving, that offering of thanksgiving needs to be uh, rising up that sweet-smelling savor into the nostrils of our God. His sacrifices. Letter C. His suffering. His suffering. Look at verse 8 of uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Again, we looked at the priests and how they suffered. And they were touched with the infirmities of the people. They knew what it was like to struggle with temptation and struggle with sin. And they knew what it was like to deal with uh, uh, sickness. And they, they, they could empathize with the people because they were the people. Uh, but set aside for a, a, a Christly calling. Look at verse 8. Though he were a son... Yet learn he obedience by the things which he suffered. What's that talking about? Well, do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? And he said, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thine be done. You know what Jesus learned in that garden that day? He learned how to obey the Father. What an interesting thing that what Jesus wanted... And what God the Father wanted were two different things. Jesus did not want to drink the cup. 
But God wanted Jesus to drink the cup. And Jesus had to submit his will below the Father's will. Now, that's really complicated because we believe that all three are one. But have you ever had an argument within yourself? Have you ever said to yourself, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but that's not what I want to do. Have you ever wanted to eat up here, but not here? Have you ever wanted to eat here, but not up here? You ever had that conflict within you? Okay, This is very similar to that. Jesus learned to be subservient to his Father in this role. By the way, what was in that cup? What was in that cup that Jesus didn't want to drink? He's in, in the, the cup is um, um, figurative. There wasn't an actual cup there with poison in it. Okay, The cup is figurative. What was in the cup? Can I tell you what I think was in the cup? And, and there are people that argue about this, and that's okay. If you don't agree with me, you can be wrong. That's all, it's all good, okay? Uh, you know what was in the cup? I believe it was our sin that was in the cup. Jesus did not want to drink our sin. Now, how is it that Jesus can fully empathize with your sin struggles? Can I tell you how? He became your sin on the cross. Now, think about the most atrocious sins that can be committed. The first one that comes to my mind is um, crimes against a child. Can you think of a sin worse than abusing a child? Right? And you can pick your level of abuse. They're all bad. Do you know Jesus became those sins on the cross? Can you begin to understand why he didn't want to drink the cup? How many of you have been following the news with Jeffrey Epstein? He became every sin that man and those around him ever committed. How many people was uh, Osama bin Laden guilty of killing in his lifetime? Jesus became every murder that that man ever committed. But he also became every lie you've ever told. Every proud, haughty, angry moment you've ever had. Every, every rebellious spirit you've ever had. He became that on the cross. And it was so bad that Jesus became so ugly by our sin that his very father turned his back on him and said, I cannot even bear to look at my own son. Do you understand a little bit deeper why Jesus said, I don't want to drink that cup? For all of eternity past, his relationship with God, the Father, was perfect. That one moment on the timetable of history, God the Father and God the Son's relationship was broken. And he had to learn to obey through his suffering on our behalf. How do you kill God, who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent? How do you kill that? Can I tell you how? You turn God into all the sins of the world, and it kills him in three short hours. It wasn't the nails that killed him. It was our sin that killed him. He suffered. One commentary I read on this said that, um, imagine you have a rabid dog running through and, and biting people and infecting them. And um, uh, one man goes out and 
and gets the dog and he's bitten by the dog. But after he's bitten, he stays with it until the dog is dead. And then he goes outside town before the, the ravenness can set into him and he chains himself up and he suffers. He suffers and foaming at the mouth and a desire to attack and kill himself and he allows himself to die so that the rest of the village could be saved. That's what Jesus did for us. His suffering. Yes, the priests knew what it was like to suffer because they struggled with sin. But Jesus became our sin. And then He rose up from the dead and He defeated death. He defeated the grave. Letter D, lastly notice, His salvation. Now, letter D under point one was their sin. Jesus never sinned. He became our sin, but He never committed sin. You know what Jesus did? He took on the sin of the priests of the past. He took on the sin of the Israelites of the past. He took on the sin of the Gentiles of the entire world. He took on the sin. He allowed it to kill Him, and He stood up from the dead, and He offers salvation freely. Look at um, uh, look at verse number 9. Look at verse number 9. It says, And being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. He became the author of eternal salvation. In His death and resurrection, He defeated, he defeated death and sin, and then he, he rose from the dead. He, rather, He defeated sin on the cross. He defeated death in His resurrection from the grave. And He offers freely the gift of eternal life. And He says... I'm not only the priest that can atone you for a short time. I'm the priest that can atone you forever. You know what they had to keep doing in the Old Testament? They had to keep coming back time and again and offering more and more sacrifices. Every year there was a day of atonement. You know what Jesus did? He died once. He was the priest that went to heaven once and sprinkled His own blood on the mercy seat in heaven. And you get down on your knees and you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I deserve to go to hell. Will you please reconcile me back to God? Will you please save my soul? And you know what? There is no more need for any more animals to be sacrificed, or any more saviors to be sacrificed, because He is the author of eternal life. So that's how Jesus is better than the priesthood. We'll continue our study and talk about this aspect of Jesus being better than the priesthood uh, for quite a while because several chapters deal with this. So I hope you're back next week. I hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you uh, this evening. I hope that you left here determined to be less complaining and more focusing on uh, your salvation. Let's stand together to be dismissed in a word of prayer. Really glad to see all of you tonight. I know some of you drug in here from work and you're whipped, you're wore out, you're tired, you're hungry. Go get something to eat and get in bed. All right, I hope you're spiritually uh, full though. Let's be dismissed with the word of prayer and ask God's hand a blessing on us. Brother Greer, would you close this with prayer, please? Amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed.